ButcherBox makes it easy and convenient to get the highest quality grass-fed, grass-finished beef, organic free-range chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild-caught seafood without any antibiotics or added hormones delivered straight to your door. For me, I love their ribeye steak with a smoke and reverse sear, their tender belly bacon, which is some of the best uncured bacon on planet Earth. ButcherBox partners with people, small farmers included, that treat their animals in the best possible way and never give any added antibiotics or hormones. When you join, you choose your box and delivery frequency. You can cancel at any time without any penalty, and ButcherBox delivers amazing and fresh meat right to your door in a 100% recyclable box. For a limited time only, get free chicken nuggets for a year and 10% off your first box when you sign up today and use the code WP. That's a 22-ounce bag of gluten-free organic chicken nuggets in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com forward slash WP and use the code WP. Welcome to Western Contours Podcast, sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. We talk gear, on and off season preparation, tips and tactics, conservation, and finding inspiration in the outdoors as sportsmen and women. Thank you for joining us as we share our love for all things Western hunting. Hey guys, I sit down with my buddy Michael Batiste of the Elk Calling Academy. Uh, We get into the best laid plans, uh, lessons and takeaways from my 2019 season that I want to run through Michael, uh, get his opinion of, and start focusing on that work for 2020. Enjoy the episode. So we're on with Mr. Michael Batiste. Mike, man, I, uh, as usual, appreciate your time. Um, Want to get on and kind of run through some of my <laughs> woes uh, through elk season, um, some of my findings and, and some of the stuff I learned, um, you know, following along with Elk Hall and Academy, not just with the the Wapiti Wednesday Lives, but also on the Patreon. Um, we new elk hunters, I don't even know if I want to say new, but we have an expectation. We, we see it a certain way. There's certain things that are um, taught and talked about. And, you know, like I just said, the best laid plans. There were some things that I went into, you know, with this elk trip with my boy. And I wasn't, in my head, I wasn't prepared for him. Um, I'm, I'm hindsighting myself, you know, with that continuous learning. So I just want to get over, get into some of that stuff and pick your brain a little bit, man. But uh, yeah, welcome. I appreciate Abs- it. Oh, absolutely. You know, I'm honored to be here. I, I I love your podcast and, you know, I feel like you and I have kind of developed a friendship over the years. So any, any opportunity I get to sit down with you and, and chit chat, cause I think you do a great job leading podcast and, you know, plus, you know me, uh, sitting down and, and talking about elk. It's it's my passion. It's something that I love to do and and love to talk about and help others. So yeah, I'm honored to be here. Thanks for thanks for having me back. Absolutely, man. So yeah, let's just uh, we're gonna go right into this. <laughs> okay, all so, right. Yeah, no beating around the bush. Let's just go to town. Yeah, we're just gonna go to town on it. Um, man, so I don't even know where to start. So so one of the <laughs> one of the, one of the main things that I wanted to talk about was 
we have this, or at least I, I shouldn't, I, I'm generalizing folks. We have this expectation that when we go out in September, um, you know, we are mapping it around the autumn equinox. We're, we're thinking rut, right? We're thinking these uh-huh. big vocalizations, herds of elk, um, yeah. you know, we're, we're not thinking a needle in a haystack um, right, right. and silence. So I really want to get into that. You know, the <laughs> silence is really what threw me for a loop. Um, you know, you, you get into it and you're, you got your, you know, your locate bugles and your breeding sequence and, you know, those, those gathering muse and everything. But what happens when that none of that is going on or none of that works? Right. Well, and, and, you know, that's, that's the thing is, is first off, you know, when a lot of people are first getting into, you know, elk hunting, you know, they're going to jump online and they're going to go, you know, do some research and they're going to go to YouTube and they're going to type in elk hunting. And so, you know, they watch this short 15, 20 minute video of these people running around and bugling. And every time they make a sound, there's just a bull screaming his head off and, you know, comes running in or this or that. But what they don't realize is that 15, 20 minute video may have taken two to three weeks of filming to actually just put that little 15 to 20 minute video together. Highlight reel. Yeah, you're, you're basically exactly seeing the highlights. And, you know, actually one thing on this year is, you know, and I don't know if you remember where I talked about it right shortly before season, but I told everybody, look, this has been a really, really wet year across the West, which means there's an abundance of food everywhere, which means now your elk are spread out. And with them being spread out, now your bull to cow ratio is lower, which means your competition for rut is lower, which means your bugling action is less. And, you know, you just have all these factors that went into it. And I talked to a ton of people that were like, man, this is one of the toughest years ever. And, and yeah, it was because the elk were really, really spread out. Um, but the cool thing, you know, for our group, you know, we ended up, having a really good year and because the elk were spread out we didn't hammer all of the bulls out of one single herd it was different herds in different areas of our hunt area um but yeah what do you do when they're when they're silent (sighs) really that's that's where you know you almost kind of start looking for fresh sign you know, where the fresh tracks, the fresh pee, the fresh poop, and you can smell them, you can smell the elk, you know, they're there. Once you get into that, really, the best thing to do is set up and start doing a blind calling routine. And so many, so many people focus on getting that response back from a bull. And then they're like, okay, now I have somebody to talk to. Now I have somebody to communicate with. In a blind calling scenario or a blind calling setup, you're kind of doing the same thing, but you're basically telling a story. But now the difference is, is you're not communicating with an elk. You're acting like multiple different elk communicating with yourself and and, and telling the story. The story that you're telling ends up creating excitement that then elicits responses from these elk. And remember, a response could be a bugle back. It could be raking. It could be glunking. It could be grunts and moans or, or just flat out coming to you. All those are responses. So, um, so yeah, when you're, when you're dealing with silent elk, patience, 
and blind calling routines are your biggest friends. So in the end, <laughs> it's like you're preaching to the choir right now. Uh, <laughs> but man, I, there was a couple, and I, I'm going to send you the video so you can watch them. And I mean, I was, I was working my butt off, man. I was sweating on some of those, you know, because I'm, <laughs> I, you know, I'm working, I'll just call it a, you know, a 50 or 60 foot radius, just kind of moving, raking here, you know, mewing yeah. over here and just really, really just beating up that, that blind calling sequence. And, uh, I mean, it wasn't for the lack of trying, you know, and, and we had a couple of, we had a couple of interactions, um, where we had a bull come in, we were, and, and you and I had talked about this. We were upslope of him. We had the wind in our favor and he wouldn't come up. Um, that was early in the hunt. So I didn't feel like there was a need to get aggressive and slip down the bench. Right. That was the first, that was 6 PM on the first day. So we set up camp, took a little nap, went out in the woods, came back to camp and we're just kind of recouping from that drive. And, and you want to talk about a full, full regret, <laughs> not getting regressive, uh -huh. but that's another, that's another aspect of it. Right. Is, is being aggressive when they're not coming in. Um, right that kind of beat us too. You know, it was, it was just all these things I, you know, going back to it, that, that I expected. Um, and then none of them played out. Now, when I look at it in hindsight, of course, 2020, I never played deer that way with deer. I get aggressive. I go in, I play the win and I go, um, mm -hmm. and hindsighting myself, that's what I should have done with them. Daggum milk. Um, especially that, that first interaction. Right. Um, I mean, that guy, I held him there. We, uh, I did the blind call and then I went into the breeding sequence. And I mean, he just uh -huh. sat on the bottom of that slope raking and huffing. He never got very vocal. All the bugles that we heard were just real low audible um, the entire right. trip. And uh, man, I kept him there for 45 minutes and never, it never crossed my mind. And I, I don't, that sounds foolish, uh, but it never crossed my mind to, to have my boys slip around, you know, a hundred yards to the South and then drop that slope and come in and on that bench and, you know, get, get on the side of them there. What we had is attention, <clears throat> oh, man, just, you know, I don't know. Again, hindsight, full regret, man. It was, uh, it was something else. Um, right now, now would you play the aggressor that early on? I mean, I guess the experience well, tells you it, it does. And I mean, it, it, it really depends on what he's doing. And, you know, the fact that that, you know, he was putting on this display and he was doing all this stuff. The reason he was uncomfortable is you were elevated on him. You had the elevated advantage. So he was at the disadvantage. That's where me, I'm going to take a look at that. And, you know, I'm going to really check the win and go, OK, how can I drop down on his level so that he feels more comfortable that he's not coming into a situation where I have the advantage, you know, I'm dropping down, getting on his level. We're on even level playing ground and he feels, he feels comfortable about it. <laughs> hindsight, man. Oh, hindsight's always 2020. And that's, that's one of those things where, you know, I've talked, you know, early on in my career where I kept that journal and, and I wrote, everything down of my encounters and it was that exact thing because yeah you're right hindsight's 2020 but if you don't have that written down where you go back and read it over and over and over again three months down the road you know things are going to kind of get foggy and um you know god do you remember all the details but if you write it down and you and you read that 
then it just replays in your mind and it's always fresh and then it's always there. It's always there. And, you know, you do this each day for a 10 day hunt and you do that for 10 years, you know, how many pages that now do you have filled up with valuable information that, and you sit there during the winter time and read that and read them and read them. And then all of a sudden, yeah, it just becomes automatic. Now, is it a guarantee? Heck no. We're still dealing with a wild animal that is unpredictable. So, I mean, I guess I can't change that scenario, but that would be the approach, right? I mean, if, you know, unless you're solo, um, would be getting down on that. You know, he was down one, two, three benches on us. So it would have been getting down to that bench. Now, would that be the shooter or would that be the calling? Because where we were calling, what I'd done is when we first started calling to him, we were right at the top of the slope. So we had an eye shot of him raking. And I backed right. up a little bit because I didn't want to see him to see me moving around as I'm doing, you know, the breeding sequence. Uh, uh-huh. So should that have been shooter going down and, and kind of making that loop on him, making sure he didn't get winded? Or should I have taken the calling down to that level? You know, kind of both. I've done it both ways, depending on the scenario and what I can do. Um, you know, sometimes I've done it where I let the the shooter kind of slip down first and kind of gain elevation. Then I start coming down behind him with the call, you know, as the caller. That kind of sometimes can give that bull, okay, hey, he's coming down on my level. I'm going to go up and meet him on his level. You know, the the 50-50 rule or 60-40 rule, um, you know, I'm coming down. He's going to come up and meet me. Or depending on where the setup is, if if both of us can kind of, you know, loop around and get on that elevation, then we're both going to do it, you know, set the collar, you know, set the shooter up and then fall back as the collar and start working him on that level. But get that, get that plane, get that where he's comfortable coming in. He has a good corridor because that's the biggest thing that you want to do in your setups is make it so that bull is as comfortable as possible coming in that he doesn't have the advantage. You don't have the advantage. It's level playing field and, and it all just works. That uh, <laughs> hard lesson, man. Twenty twenty. That that one kills me more than than all the other scenarios because I mean we were sixty yards up from them on that on that hillside. I mean that one just yeah. That's the that was the hardest lesson, especially at the end of the trip, right? We're uh, in any scenario. I mean it's just like seeing you know a, a three by four buck and knowing that you got a you know a four by four that's 26 inches wide, you may let him pass on that first day uh, and not get aggressive. And in that scenario, I wasn't thinking along the lines of don't pass on the first day, which you would shoot on the last. And, and it kind of slapped me in the face, you know, again, hindsighting myself, I should have been aggressive, but it was like, I don't need to. This is the first day we got 16 on this mountain. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> um, but it really lends itself to that. I mean, that was that was one of one, two, three, four opportunities um, mm-hmm. that, you know, probably the well, I wouldn't say that's the best one. But, you know, as far as calling goes, 45 minutes of playing with him and not, you know, not slipping in for a shot. And that's another thing, right, is, man, I was, you know, I was expecting him to come into these calls. I was expecting him to react like. I wanted him to because I'm doing this breeding sequence, yada, yada, yada. 
And that's, that's another, <laughs> you know what, <laughs> right. <laughs> oh yeah. So you, you know, we, we, we do these things and it's like, Oh, he's going to react this way and mm-hmm. I'm going to do this. He's going to react that way. And you have those expectations. And then when they don't do what you are expecting them to do, you're like, what, wait a minute, dude, you're not doing what you're supposed to yeah. do. Yeah. So. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's funny. And it, the, the hardest part and what makes me laugh about it is again, I don't hunt deer that way. I've never, right. had, you know what I mean? There's no expectation there. So why I had that with elk, I don't know. It, it, it was just the weirdest thing. But to circle back to your question about whether to be aggressive on that or not, that's where you want to match his intensity. If he's being aggressive, by all means, get aggressive back. So that's the biggest thing. Reading the clues and reading the information of what that bull is giving you and then matching that intensity and that pace. So that was so, that's one of the things that I wrote down was was basically the mimicry in it. Right. Because there was I had a, uh, another encounter. And it was just this real low audible, you know, 100 yards away, two second, if that bugle. And right. in that scenario, um, I bugled and he he went silent and I bugled back, you know, a few seconds later it was probably a minute or so. And he came back the same way. And I said, OK, well, that worked when I sounded like him. It worked. He, he answered back. Well, I lost sight. And I got aggressive, right? Because I, you want, again, you want them, you want to elicit that response to where they're, the expectation is they're going to come, you know, love drunk running in. And uh, mm-hmm. I blew it. You know, he he blew out. I got too aggressive and then it just went silent. Nothing. Um, and and we could actually hear him moving to us. And I don't, I don't know. God damn it, man. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess it's the excitement when I, I got excited about it and I'm like, oh, he's coming. And I started raking harder and I, you know, chuckled a little bit. And it was just like, what after it? It's like, what are you doing? Why he did not do that? I chuckled away. So I didn't, you know, totally go at him and get aggressive. But it was like, right. all right, he's coming, you know, keep him coming. And it's part of that excitement, you know, and, and kind of tempering that back um, was really where I think I needed to be on that. And that scenario was, in my opinion, was just about perfect. We had a little, a little uh, draw between us. It was a wash that came down. It was cliffed out on my right side. I'm facing north. The wind was blowing off the cliff. I mean, we were 40 feet away from the cliff and this guy's coming. He could never loot me for the wind. Never could not loot me on the wind. But that aggression, it, it killed me. Absolutely killed me. Yeah, no. And, you know, that's that's one of those things that, you know, you've heard me talk about before where it's like, OK, are, are you moving around the forest and sounding like a human or are you moving and sounding, you know, like an elk? And you know, are you are you being are you paying attention to your surroundings and your scenario and what's going on? And that is. I think one of the things that unfortunately the only really way that you can learn those is through interactions and, you know, paying attention. And that's, that's just where time in the field and interactions with the elk really, really gain that experience because it's not really something that you can really teach. Um, But, you know, that's one of the things that I kind of, 
talked to several people about this year because you know I had I had one person that said uh man, this has been a really, really tough year. And I said, okay. I said, well, you know, what's been going on? He goes, well, you know, we tried your breeding sequence and, and this, that, or the other. And I said, okay, well, how long did you try it for? And, uh, you know, we sat down and we tried it for about 15, 20 minutes. And I was like, okay. So how long were you up on your hunt? Oh, we were up for 14 days. So for 15, 20 minutes out of your whole entire hunt, you tried this something new. It didn't work. So you went back to doing your same old thing. How did that work out? Well, it was frustrating. We couldn't find any elk. So again, you went back to what you always do and you've never killed an elk. And you were giving something new to try and you only tried it for 15 minutes, but then you spent the rest of the 14 days working on the failure, <laughs> working on the thing that yeah, just, just has not produced results in the past. So, but then there's other people that I talked to that, you know, really went out and was really aware of their surroundings. They were patient in areas, especially early on in the year when there wasn't a lot of bugling action. And I mean, these guys called in a lot of elk for the first time in their life. They were like, um, I called in seven bulls this year. I have never called in seven bulls in the last eight years that I bell kind of combined. And here I did it in just this window. It's like, great. And you did it in a tough year where it was extremely wet and the elk were completely spread out. Now, what do you think it's going to be in a normal year when the feed is more concentrated and the elk are more concentrated? You, you know, it's funny that you, that you're saying that right in a tough year. And, and that was one of the things I was, you know, going into this, I didn't consider, right. I'm thinking wet year and we start to think antler growth, big bulls. We're not thinking mm -hmm. what you're talking about, right? That, that, that wet year is going to equal more feed and the elk are going to be more spread out. And it's good. You know, it's going to dissipate those concentrated numbers. Um, hearing that and looking at the situation, it's like, man, that makes perfect sense now. Uh, mm -hmm. but it's not one of those, it's not one of those things that we're hearing a lot, right? No, no one's talking when we talk again, talk, you know, good rain year, we're thinking, oh man, that means a lot of bulls. It's going to be easy to get in on them. Um, and I'm hindsighting myself, um, with all this stuff here. Uh, <laughs> but that makes, that makes absolute sense. Absolute sense. Yeah. Well, and these, these, I think are some of the little things that when people, like you said, hindsight's 2020, I think it's some of these little things that people don't really, when they're looking back on their encounters or they're looking back on the season, it's these little things that they don't really focus on or think about. Um, you know, they're, they're more focused on how many bugles did we hear and, you know, how much this and how much that. And, and, you know, like, like you said, I mean, you and I talked, this was the first year that you really went out and changed what you're listening for and now all of a sudden you're hearing all these low audible responses that you had never paid attention to before or never listened for and and i remember you saying holy crap there's a lot more of that going on than what i was aware of oh jesus <laughs> ooh, yeah. it was ooh, it was like so it, it just wasn't that impressive screaming you know top of the lungs um experience that i had you know previously you know like right. wyoming spoiled me i roll into wyoming and i'm not there for five minutes and it was just holy crap i got five bulls everywhere around me just you know going off 
And it was, right. it was a trip, man. It was like, okay, how do I, how do I respond to that? And I honestly, I tried everything that you teach. I tried changing that a little bit to see if I can elicit a response, you know? Um, and it was something else, man. I, I, before I went, I spent my maybe three or four days and I was like, okay, I don't want the excitement to get me. So I pulled out my phone and opened up my notes and I just started punching in. I mean, literally like step by step, what is the breeding sequence? What is blind calling? And step by step time, mm -hmm. the whole nine man stopwatch was rolling. Like I was, I was going to go and be that student that is going, you know what I mean? Every single step. So I gave myself the best chance, you know, to, mm -hmm. to arrow a bull and, uh, Man, damn. <laughs> again, it wasn't for a lack of trying. But right. again, the expectation of what is going to happen. Huh. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And I think sometimes those expectations kind of get in our way of really recognizing, you know, what's kind of going on. And, and, because of those expectations, I think what happens and, and the mistake that a lot of people make is once they get a bull responding, they kind of start engaging that bull directly too soon, too much, too aggressive, too often. And especially, you know, you've heard me talk on the on the Patreon page about the breeding sequence. So, and that's specifically what I'm talking about, you know, in that breeding sequence where, where you're telling this story and a lot of people, what they do is as soon as they get a bull responding immediately, they gravitate away from the breeding sequence. And now all of a sudden they're interacting with this bull, but it's like, great, you're in a bugle match with a bull that's 400 yards, 500 yards away. But if you really watch an elk during a breeding sequence, that bull is so focused on that cow until that other bull comes up and breaks that comfort barrier. Once that other bull breaks that comfort barrier, now this bull with that's in the breeding sequence, now he becomes a defensive bull. He doesn't become a defensive bull because there's another bull 700 yards out there or 500 yards out there. Otherwise, he would be defensive all, all the time. time. Yeah. So, so this is one of those things where it's like, okay, are you thinking like a human or are you thinking like an elk? Have you, have you, you know, gone onto YouTube and just pulled up video of elk behaviors and just watched them, watch what they do. So. So <sighs> the best laid plans, man, that's all I could say. Uh -huh. um, you know, so how do we, What's the approach? I want to talk about that a little bit, right? Because that was something that I missed. So that wet ear, more feet, elk are spread out. And I had no problem. I was I was ready to go five miles. I was ready to go 300 yards. I was ready to go 14 miles. I mean, we just pounded the miles. I was finding right. great sign. Um, but I still couldn't put it together. What? <laughs> You know, I mean, I understand you can't you can't walk through those scenarios. You're not there. But where when those numbers are low, what are we looking for outside the sign? Because, again, I've man, I, I was picking up scat that right. was hot. I mean, you know, you always talk yeah. about if it's yeah. green, it's for I mean, this was it might as well still been steaming. Um, there was one I picked up and 
uh, for whatever reason, man, I don't know why I smelt it and it ended up on my lip. And then the rest of the day, my lips smell like elk piss. But what do we do when when we're searching this stuff out and we're still not seeing or hearing the animals or getting on those animals? Well, and I think that's the thing that when you get into those those, you know, those fresh sign areas, that's where the patient aspect comes into it. And that's where you really want to work those areas because, you know, the elk are in the area. But majority of the people, those are the areas that they're just going to blow through. They're going to blow through looking for that response. You know, they're going to they're going to continue to locate, locate and and keep moving. And, and um, keep looking for that response. But no, in, in situations like that, and, and, and that's what we did early on in the year. We made we made a point going into the first part of the year. It's like, OK, this year we're not going to focus on miles. How many miles are we putting in on a day? We're going to focus more on how much time are we going to spend really working these areas. And that's why we had, you know, great success with call-ins early in the year. Were we getting a ton of bugling activity? No, but we were getting a ton of raking activity and a ton of activity of the, uh, of the elk coming in. So, so what we were doing, I think we averaged probably, I forget what it was, like 7.56 miles a day. And I was doing these big loops. So, you know, the first day we get into this area and we're finding sign and we just kind of looped around. Um, And I'm not sure why the thought process was making this big circle in this area and just kind of working through that circle throughout the day. And I don't think, I mean, we were literally dark to dark. So we were up and at them. 3.30 to 4.30, you know, in the area um, and and just working. And really, I don't think I don't think we were moving fast. Um, There was a lot of discovery right in that time. Um, But then I would connect these circles day after day and then, hey, let's go back over here. Okay, this this circle was dry today. We didn't see any fresh sign. Let's go loop back through where we you have. Oh, shoot. You there? Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't know why that happened. I got a weird message here. I'll have to edit that. Um, and we will loop, you know, back in. So kind of connecting the dots, right? Uh, I guess the easiest way would be like Olympic rings. Okay. And, you know, I'm working these areas and I I think I was moving slow enough. Um and I wasn't doing, you know, a bunch of call and we, you know, and I'd follow, I'd follow the tenants of the, of the, the training there, right? We get to an area and I'd call and then we, you know, come around and we're on, you know, a new ridge or I come across a little drainage or something. And then I call again, making sure that that sound was heard and just right. really just beating those areas. Um, but, you know, we, we came. Now home. these, 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 these are areas that you had that fresh sign in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, we'd work one and then, you know, and maybe that's part of the mistake is we didn't stay in that area the next day. Right. Oh, we didn't have success here. So now let's go and we'll work, you know, again, Olympic rings. We'll kind of right. start this new ring on that, you know, somewhere in that circle we did the day before. And we'll work right. another three, four five mile circle and then kind of come back through always touching that fresh sign to a point sometime in the day from the previous day. 
So, and, and, and here's, here's how I work those areas. So if I get in there and I have that fresh sign, I'm going to set up and I'm going to do a blind calling scenario for an hour. If nothing comes in within that hour, then I'm going to get up and I'm not going to go, okay, we're going to go this way. I'm going to take a look at the sign and go, which way are the tracks going? Which way are these elk heading? And then that's what I'm going to follow. I'm going to follow the direction that the elk went, especially if the wind is still in my face and in my favor. And I'm going to, I'm going to move, you know, depending on how the terrain is and, and how the vegetation is, you know, I might only move 200 yards or I might move 500 yards before I set up and do another blind calling scenario in those. But that's, that's how I work those areas in. And I really try to follow the sign. And that's, that's kind of, you know, what we did again, first part of this year, it's like, Oh, okay. Hey, we've, we've got some fresh tracks right here. Let's, let's follow these tracks. And, you know, I followed those track or we followed those tracks and all of a sudden we come out in this little meadow that has probably 14 rubs in the trees all around this meadow. And it's like, okay, there's, there's been a bull hanging out in here. Let's set up and start calling. And, so we started calling there. Well, yeah, there wasn't just one bull. There was actually a group of five bulls that was hanging out in that meadow. Um, and I mean, we got into them opening morning and then the next weekend we were back in there and that's when Brandon shot his bull. Um, and he didn't even shoot the bull that was, you know, bugling, bugling back at us. And we, we had this dude that started bugling at us. And then he was just pacing back and forth in the trees on the other side of this meadow. And he's just sitting there doing this roundup bugle. He was trying to call my cow to him so stinking bad. But there was there was a couple of smaller bulls that all of a sudden started going, you're dumb. And they started trotting right towards us going, you can stay back there and try to bring her to you, but we're going to go to her. Yeah, one of them realized really quick that that was a bad mistake, especially when he came about 18 yards from Brandon. So, um. <laughs> and, that, you know, that was one of the things that, you know, when I started finding rubs and, and I'm going to plug it for him. Um, but I started using the uh, Huntley Gap this year. And it's really cool because you can journal like crazy. Right. It, it's I was I could take a picture of a rub um, that would give me a GPS waypoint. It would associate it with that waypoint. And then I can journal that entry, whatever I want to put there. So that's one of the things that, uh, I was doing, you know, I started using the hunt league app, uh, shameless plug for Jared Newman there. And that was <laughs> my, that was my journal. It replaced my pen and paper. Um, right. and that, and I don't know if you've looked at that thing, but it is, it's awesome. Um, you know, you can track the hunt. So you're getting that, you know, kind of like Onyx, you're getting that, you know, that topo track, all your coordinates. But when you drop a waypoint, you can take a picture of said rub, um, jot some notes in, you know, and I was using the voice right. dictation on the fly. And, you know, I was trying to pattern. And, and that's one of the things I want to pick your brain about, too, is I was trying to pattern these elk, you know, and, and uh -huh. that was kind of a hindsight thing after probably the third day. Uh, when we started seeing sign kind of dry up, uh, but talking about those rubs, have you ever noticed a pattern? What I, what I noticed, and I can't substantiate it because I didn't see multiple bulls, um, but it seemed to 
be in these areas where they were, I'm going to say they were 150 yards apart, plus or minus in my right. loops, but I definitely saw a pattern and it was more times than not in threes. There was a couple of fours that I found um, and they were different. They were different heights of rubs, you know, different intensities. Uh -huh. Have you ever noticed any patterns with, with the rubs as far as the bulls and well, most of the patterns that I see are, are, you know, if you if you see kind of the rubs in a in a straight line, they're kind of forming a a, a arrow, I guess you could say. It, you know, that's usually what I see more in travel corridors. You know, where you can kind of stand on a trail and look down, and you can see whereas this bull is is working towards his bedding or feeding, he's just randomly rubbing trees as he goes. Then you get around wallows and bedding areas, and you know, there's rubs kind of scattered all over um so those are kind of the things where you know it's it's okay you know we definitely got a travel corridor here because that's what the rub line's telling me okay we're in a bedding area or near a wallow if you can see the wallow um but as far as you know clusters um no i i i really haven't um you know because part of it you know, sometimes it's, it's without actually seeing the elk that are in there. Like you said, you don't know how many bulls are there. Is it, is it one bull that's, you know, hitting all these trees? Is it a couple of different bulls? And because they will go back to their same rubs because of that pre-orbital orbital gland that's right in front of their eye, you know, they're dropping their scent on those rubs. And that's, that's why the hot on the trail sense, shameless plug for Mark Mason, um, <laughs> The hot on the trail scents work really, really well because they're like a deodorant stick and they have that bull blend. So, you know, I've done it before where I've gotten into an area where there's been a bull rubbing and we worked that bull, didn't get him. Well, I pulled that, that scent stick out and I started rubbing on this dude's wallows. I'm putting my scent. So I'm basically, you know, telling this dude, Hey, I'm coming in to take over your area. And then I've left it for a couple of days and I've come back in there and he has snapped off a couple of these smaller trees, you know, inch and a half in diameter, two inches in diameter that he's just gotten so mad that somebody else came in and dropped scent on his rub tree that he's like, fine, I'm just going to break this thing or pull it out of the ground so you can't rub on it. And, um, but no, as far as patterns and clusters, um, I really haven't seen, but patterns with the oak behavior. Oh yeah, definitely have seen patterns. So I'm going to jump because I have this note here and I, and one of the things that you talk about is not, is putting yourself in the best situation, right? So, you know, with the blind call or excuse me, with the, with the night bugling, um, uh -huh. And that was one of the hard lessons here is we were basically up on a, on a plateau. Um, we had one road um, that kind of divided these two units. And I felt like I pigeonholed myself. Um, again, hindsight, we, we, we could drive, but the drives were mountain roads, um, not even roads, Jeep trails for the, for, you know, to kind of put in perspective. Um, but I didn't give myself that 30 mile or that 50 mile ability. Um, I felt like I pigeonholed us to this plateau. And it was just like, man, you know, you spend, you spent a whole year learning this area on topos. Uh, here goes another shameless plug, Carta maps and, and rugged maps and using those to learn mm -hmm. the area. And 
we got up there and about, I'm going to say it was about the fourth day. I said, okay, it's time to start moving and trying to do some night bugling and figuring this out because it had, it was just silent. Um, how do you, that's one thing that we don't, that we don't hear that we don't talk about is setting yourself up in that aspect for success, right? Being able to access other areas or you're going to be driving a hundred miles. In our case, it would have been a hundred mile drive um, to the next area. Well, and and I mean, you know, I think one of the misconceptions with night bugling too, is that, you know, you go out and every time you go out night bugling, you get a response. No, there's, there's times that we'll go out night bugling and you won't get a response. And so then, yeah, what do you do? And, and this, is, this is where the advantage of hunting the same area year after year and getting to know that area and getting to know the elk and where they like to go and where they do this and where they do that. Then you have that information that you can fall back on and go, okay, hey, you know, based on our scouting trips and our trail cameras and, you know, things that we've done past hunts, we're going to go hunt this area today. Because, you know, usually 99.99% of the time there's elk in there. Let's go there. So, you know, you have those fallback places. Night bugling is a great tool, um, but it's not a cure-all. That's that's the thing with elk hunting. There's, there's not one thing that's a cure-all. And that's that's why flexibility and having different things in your, in your bag of tricks to pull out, I think is really what separates those people that have consistent success versus those people that don't have a lot of success. Uh, You know, it's Tony Robbins, the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. So some people only have one, one trick in their bag and they're going to run around the hill and, and do that one trick over and over and over again. And they're going to do that every day in and out until their hunt's done. And unfortunately, you know, they're like, man, elk hunting's tough or man, I'm not that good. Or I'm not that good of a caller. You don't have to be an exceptional caller. If you understand elk behavior and you understand elk vocalizations, that's, a big chunk of what contributes to success there. So you said cure all and it made me huh. think of something and I'm going to talk a little S right now. The, okay. the, the cure all is don't be a dumbass in the elk woods. So, <laughs> so we set up a base camp, man, and we were right off of, right off of one of the, one of the Jeep trails. And it was just, it was kind of the perfect location for us. We were kind of protected from the crazy winds. And that was another thing that, that we had to deal with was, you know, 15 to 20 mile an hour winds every single day. Anyhow, these guys, man, they pull up on the UTV or they pull up on the quad. And the, the best one is this guy pulls up in probably a late 60s Chevy um, ACDC blaring, which was, you know, it was like, all right, yeah, heck yeah, buddy. And uh, he stops and he starts to bugle with the truck running ACDC blaring into the canyon below. And it was, and I'm sitting there and all I could do was laugh. And I go, well, we're not hunting in that area because that dumbass just said, hey, I'm an elk that drives a 67 Chevy and likes ACDC. Don't, it, it, some of the stuff that I witnessed from, <laughs> from other hunters was like, mm-hmm. you guys are killing this area. You're killing it. And that, and unfortunately it's public land, right? We just have to deal with those things. Um, 
but those are the guys that make you feel like you got to push 10 miles in. It was like, what in the right, hell are you right. doing, man? Right. <clears throat> but for whatever reason, when you said cure all that, don't be a dumbass just popped in my head. <laughs> That's the best cure for it. Um, <laughs> Mistakes are going to happen out there. I don't care how long you've been elk hunting and how much success you've had. You're going to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. It happens. And as you kind of gain a little bit more knowledge and a little bit more excess, those mistakes tend to hurt a little bit more because they're blatantly obvious and you end up just dropping your head on the mountainside and go, I'm an idiot. Yeah. Well, they, I don't think they were saying it. There was a one one gentleman, he was in a UTV and every single day he would stop at the same exact same spot and he would let out a short locate two chuckles he'd wait about 25 seconds if that and then he'd roll away he'd go up you'd hear him you know get up the road two three hundred yards and he'd do it again and it was just it, it was amazing to watch that for 11 days right it hasn't worked once what what are you doing right <laughs> what are you doing besides to me it was like you're, you're just you're educating them um and that's all I could keep thinking, right? My limited knowledge on it, but that's all I could keep thinking. You're educating that elk, like, hey, this is, you know, this is not elk behavior. Um, what do you, what's your opinion of cattle? And we we had talked after my hunt, and you kind of touched on that, but I'd like to hear it because that was one of the things I felt we were plagued with was the amount of cattle that we were coming across in the woods. Um. I mean, every, every, every bull that we killed this year was within 250, 300 yards of cattle. So, I mean, was just right in there with the cattle. And in fact, one area, um, we found two dead cows in the area. So, you know, a cow and, and then a calf, they were separate, but anyways, um, no. And I mean, I think it was last year I had a trail camera set up on this little bench that the first night I set the, set the trail camera up, um, you know, we had elk come in and bed down and then we had elk for the next three, four nights. And then we had cattle move in and then we had cattle for two, three nights and then the elk were back and then it would kind of alternate each night. One night it would be cattle. The next night it would be elk. So, you know, I think what happens is, is the elk want to go to certain areas, but since they're traveling with the wind in their nose, once they start getting close to that area, if they smell cattle, they just, you know, hang a left or hang a right and go someplace else. Um, but if they're walking and they don't smell the elk, then, they just keep right on going. Yeah. It seemed like it, there was a point where it was like every, you know, okay, we're out of the cat and, and we assumed that that was part of it. Um, we'd walk, okay, we're out of the cattle and you know, you do two miles and then what's that over there, you know, cattle again. And it was, uh, it was like a plague, you know, and, and again, assuming that we're thinking that we're doing everything right. Um, and the cattle was, you know, part of the cause. I, I think we had a lot of factors that we didn't, I didn't expect, um, and didn't know how to respond to those factors, um, mm-hmm. was, was a huge, a huge, huge part of it. Huge part. I mean, the one opportunity that we had for a shot, 
it was we were we had just i mean literally just got into the woods we were a little bit late that morning sun was just breaking as we were coming out of this little cut we were taking through the dark timber and i hear elk and i look and and there's this little this little cow calf she's coming i mean right at us right at us and I'm going, oh, crap. And then we see a cow. And I'm like, cow, you know, thumper, 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 I'm telling Tony. Thumper, thumper, thumper. Right. And he's frozen. He's never seen an elk, right? That's his first experience with elk. He's never seen him. And he is, <laughs> he looks like a bronze statue, man. And his eyes are the size of silver dollars. And he's looking. And then I hear my boy say, bull. And I look up the hill and I see, it was a really nice five, man. And, uh. I look over, Tony's not moving, and Tony was the first cow shooter. My boy was the uh, first bull shooter, and I look over, and nobody's doing anything. And I'm going, what the hell? This is the first elk. I think this is day six or seven. And I stepped out, and I go, range him. And uh, my boy ranges him, and he tells me, 48 yards. And I'm like, oh, man, I dialed in that single pin, drew back put that mark on there and poof, shot and i was like I, you know i'm waiting to see that arrow just go through that bull and uh never saw my arrow <laughs> never saw it man and i'm going what no he didn't tell me 48 yards what did he tell me 65 yards or something like that and i hear a thump like hollow log sound and i'm like i never saw it what the heck was that you know and I looked right. at him and I go, what was the range? And he looks at me with this look on his face, just like, oh, shit. He goes, Dad, I got like four different ranges, 160, <laughs> 68, 55, 48. He goes, and that just sounded, it looked right to me. And I'm like, oh, son of a bitch, man. <laughs> <laughs> so so back to my excitement in all this, kind of the reason that, you know, the way I blew out that uh how I think I blew out that bull getting aggressive was one. I've never asked anybody to range for me. Right. Two. I didn't, I didn't consider that I had time. Right. Cause what I'm looking at is this cow calf. She's like 12 yards from us. And when I'm deciding to step out, she knows something's wrong. She's, she's taking her turn and, you know, kind of not busting, but you know, getting out of there. And I'm thinking it's going to unfold this is the first opportunity we had. But the point is slowing it down, slowing all that down. And elk are in my head a little bit different in that respect than deer, because deer I've put three quarters of a mile stock on an archery deer and was able to take all the time in the world. So the easiest way for me to relate it is elk take one step and that's four feet. <laughs> right, <laughs> like right. It is, it is the fastest experience hunting I think I have ever had. And I'm going to say that all unfolded within a 12 to 15 second window, um, you know, to shoot over the bull's back ultimately with that, you know, uphill shot, 20 yard difference. Um, yeah, I, I mean, slowing it down is is hard to do in that excitement especially as a new elk hunter right especially when you're seeing bone on that head and uh right. it is uh man it was crazy it was just you know one shot opportunity man and it went over the elk's back and it was just like you got be <laughs> i looked at my boy and that was one of the things you know we had talked about early on like you know what 
in the heat of the moment, you may say something, I may some say something, but we're going to be good after, right? And uh, so, <laughs> no, and, and and I know how you feel because one of the guys in our group this year was the new guy that joined our group, and uh, thirty minutes after light on first day you know, I get a, I, I get a text message with a picture of a blood trail. I was like, wow. Now granted, you know, we had, we got into three bulls. I mean, 10 minutes after we left the side by side. So, you know, we could have been in the same scenario, but we're like, okay, who is it? And Oh, it was Kelly. No, I almost said his name, but anyways, um, <laughs> <laughs> names have been changed to protect the innocent. But anyway, <laughs> um, you know they're kind of tracking, and and you know we're like, hey, do we need do we need to come over there and, and get some give some help and this and that, and it, we ended up meeting back at camp with them, you know, later that evening, and and come to find out. kind of hard angling too. And and I guess he was kind of afraid of me coming back into camp. And, you know, this guy was already greased BB tight, nervous about coming into my camp and screwing up and this and that. And I'm like, whatever. So, so I came back into camp and I grabbed a beer and I go over and I sat down in a long chair next to him. And I'm like, so tell me a story. And, you know, he's, he's kind of nervous and telling me, and I'm like, okay, what did you learn from this? what, what did you learn from this? Well, that I just kind of rushed this in the situation and, you know, I ended up sticking him in the shoulder blade and didn't get, you know, enough penetration. And I'm like, okay, so you learn. So now next time that'll never happen. Well, then now we fast forward towards the last week of the season and it's Friday night of this last weekend. And we know there's a major storm coming in the next two days. He shoots right at last light and it sounded like that arrow hit every stinking branch on that mountainside. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> I mean, he just center punched a center punched a tree. And so for the rest of that night, you know, we didn't even call him by his real name. We were like, Hey, doing, <laughs> so, but then he's, he's sitting there and he's like, man, my confidence is shot. And I'm like, if you're looking for somebody in this group to come over and pat you on the back and say, it's going to be okay, sweetheart, you're in the wrong, wrong freaking camp. <laughs> Cause we're going to tell you to reach down between your legs, grab your balls, give them a tug and get back in the saddle and go, go at it mm-hmm. again. I mean, that's, that's hunting. The fact that here you are brand new and you actually had two shot opportunities that you released arrows on and you drew back on two other bulls. I would say that was a pretty stinking good year for your first year of really bow hunting elk. Yeah. Well, and then that brings up another point, right? Perspective. And that was one of the things that I was checked on in our hunt I was, man, I was beat, right? I really, you know how bad I wanted to get my boy a bull. And right. uh, we had, I was like, well, you know, we haven't gone all the way up there, you know, <laughs> we're going to, we're going to go work. Let's get through that dark timber and hit that plateau and see if that pans out. And we get up there and nothing, it was really dry sign. And um, I'm sitting there and I'm defeated, man. I'm just beat. Morale is down. And uh, my boy is just grinning ear to ear. And I'm looking at him and I'm like, the hell are you happy about, (laughs) you know, essentially. And uh, he goes, dad, I just did that. And I go, just did what? Didn't even, didn't even dawn on me, Michael. And he goes, 
I just climbed up that. We just made it up that. You know, we had been looking at that thing going, holy crap. Right. <clears throat> and it really brought me back in. And it was like, you know, this is great, right? Perspective. We had had interactions. I was able to hold the bull for 45 minutes, all, you know, albeit we didn't get in there, but we were learning. But I was starting to lose sight because you want to notch that freaking tag. And uh, right. it was nice to have my 17 year old son bring me back down to earth for a minute with that perspective. And yeah, you're learning, you're growing out there while you're doing it. And that's one of the things I've always prided myself in um, as I go out is to appreciate all that other stuff. And uh, man, how easy it is to lose sight of that. You know, it, I can I can understand being in camp with you guys that there'd be some pressure on a gentleman, uh, Mr. Doing there. Yeah. But that self-inflicted pressure is so unnecessary, man, when we have these small takeaways. I mean, it sucks not to notch a tag, especially, you know, you got X amount of days, you spend a thousand dollars on an out-of-state tag or whatever that cost is, but perspective is huge, 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 huge. Sure. No, you're you're exactly exactly right, and, and you know you've you've heard you know me talk about the definition of success, and you know so many people just focus on that punch tag that they really lose perspective of what a successful hunt really is. I mean, there's there's so many times that, and, and I'm truly blessed with the guys that that I share camp with and that I hunt with because there's so many times that we're on the mountainside that, you know, we have an interaction, we're high-fiving and nobody even knocked an arrow. And it was like, that was a, a successful hunt. And, um, you know, because we know we've done it long enough that, you know, we travel, you know, from one hunting spot to the, the other and we run into people and it's like, hey, how's, how's it going? And in fact, prime example, that morning Brandon shot his bull you know, we're, we're sitting there taking care of his bull and I hear some cow calls. And so I call back and then these two guys come walking in and they're like, Oh, what are you guys doing up here? It's like, well, it looks like we were kind of elk hunting and we kind of were successful and now we're breaking down an elk so we can get it off the mountain and talking to them. And it's like, well, how's your season going, man, we haven't even heard a bugle. We haven't even seen an elk yet. And we're looking at each other going, God, we're an elk every day. We're hunting the same area as you, and how can you not be an elk? And how can you not? I, yeah, I, I, I don't know, but I, I think it's because so many people focus on that punch tag that they then all of a sudden start putting, you know, pressure on themselves and pressure on the hunt. And then they start making more mistakes because of that pressure. And then it just compounds and snowballs. And, and I mean, yeah, we step out there with the goal and the intent of harvesting a bull and putting meat in the freezer and punching our tag, but it's not all we're thinking about. Cause you know, we're, we're hiking around and moving to different areas and we're paying attention to everything around us. You know, the sights, the sounds, the smells, the colors, the the trails and everything about that and how, you know, this bench leads to that draw that, oh, my man, there's there's a trail here that goes all of a sudden over to here and look at where it takes us. And if you're not really looking around and, and acknowledging all this, I think there's so much about the territory that you're hunting and the country that you're hunting that you really don't really learn it as well. 
because you're just so focused on that punch tag or, Oh, what are the buddies in my Facebook group going to think of me? If <laughs> my tag? Yeah. What kind of grief am I going to get from my wife after 15 days on the mountain and thousands of dollars? <laughs> that was my yeah. biggest concern. <laughs> oh yeah. And then, you know, you know, then you have, you, then you have that spouse. that's like, you know, you've been elk hunting for five years. How much money have you spent? We could have bought four cows by now. So, and it's like, yeah, yeah but that's, there's more to it than that. I mean, there's, there's that camaraderie on the mountainside. Yeah. That, that experience, man, is like no other when you, uh, take the blinders off. Yeah. I, and man, I love to hunt deer, but there is nothing, nothing like elk hunting. Even when you don't see or interact or hear, I'm not sure why it is the weirdest freaking thing, but there is something about elk hunting that is just phenomenal, man. It, 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 when you look at the whole experience, I mean, you are mm -hmm. willing to go and do, and it is, I don't know if it's just the excitement that you think you're going to have or what it is, but man, oh man, yeah, you, you can't get me to stop thinking about elk. <laughs> it's worse now right. that I'm back that, you know, that we, that we're done with elk season. It's worse now than it was for the last two years. It's crazy. Right. Right. Damn animal. So, oh, it's, it's, they're, they're one of the most frustrating animals that there are, but also, also one of the ones that you will have the utmost respect for. Mm -hmm. There, I mean, for something, and that, that's what I kept telling my boy, we were laughing and be like, you know, big as a house, you know, small as a mouse type thing. Cause it's amazing mm -hmm. that, you know, they're there, right? We're, we're picking up fresh scat. I mean, just like mm -hmm. I said, steaming, you know, rubs that sap is literally dripping out of the tree, but we're right. not seeing the damn animal. It's like, it doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> How well, does this thing it's, disappear? It's, 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 it's because as soon as hunting pressure really gets high, they no longer walk on the trails. They start walking along the treetops. And since you're looking down on the ground, you never see them because, you know, they're on those treetops above you. and you, You're not looking up for them. Yeah, it's a uh, man. I don't know. I, I, I'm going to have to think about I'm going to have to think about that one. Um, well, because that was sarcasm just because so. Oh, and then where that stemmed from was a few years back, we were hunting this area and we, we drove up to this road cause we wanted to get to this clear cut and we uh, hang a left on the road and we go up to the split. And then here's this truck with this in the bed camper and this and that. And we, you know, kind of pull up there and the husband and wife come out of the camper. And so we shut off the rig and we start talking to them and, and they're like, yeah, we don't understand it. And, and I said, well, what do you mean? They're like, well, we, when we were up here this summer, there was piles of elk right here. I mean, this road was just littered with tracks. And now as soon as we show up, they just disappeared. And I'm kind of scratching my head going, if you can't put two and two together to figure out what happened with the elk. And that's when I said, oh, well, you know, yeah, once, once hunting season starts, they just no longer walk on roads like this. They start walking on the treetops. And, and she kind of did the same thing. It kind of went over her head for a moment. And then she's like, you know, and then she started joking and, and, you know, kind of laughing about it. But then we got in the rig and we're like, well, if you can't figure out why the elk left the area, maybe because you're camped right where they live. <laughs> but, but, you know, sarcasm or not, that makes complete sense. 
It, it really uh-huh. does in my head, at least, you know, I mean, maybe that's the wanting to be, you know, that student of the game. Um, but it makes sense. And, and, right. you know, just when you said it, I'm looking, I'm like, damn, was I looking down the whole time? <laughs> <laughs> well, no. And, and, and we honestly, we do get into that mode to where we are locked looking down on the ground looking for tracks that we don't pick our eyes up and we don't scan. We don't look for flashes of tan. We don't look for a flick of an ear. If we would actually slow down when hiking. And I mean, I was guilty of it is, is also when I was younger. I mean, when I was younger, it was all about how many miles can I put in today? And it was, it was a race to, to see how many miles it wasn't how many animals can I see or how close can I get? It was how many miles. And I was so focused looking down on the trail that, I mean, I would bump an elk and bump an elk and bump an elk. And it's like, dang it. And once I got a little older and started slowing down, I really, really scanned the area a lot more as I'm moving and I mean, yeah, I'm still glancing down at the ground, but my focus isn't on the ground anymore. It's focused out in front of me so that hopefully I can see them before they see me because they can see through those trees a heck of a lot better than what we can. And I, and I think for the most part, I mean, we were we were getting, you know, within 30 yards of nice bucks. We had encounters with bears that didn't know we were there. Um, right. And I think a lot of it lends itself to not you know like you said earlier you know that wet year morphe the elk were spread out um i mean we really see we saw one that was one two three there was four cows and a calf with the one bull it was and, and it was funny about that is it was like he was just gathering like they he didn't care he was just gathering after i took that shot I'm all over the place with my thoughts right now. But after I took that shot, he busted out. Well, he just did a big U-turn. He ran out 50 yards. Then he was uphill. He was probably 70, 80 yards out at that point and went back into the timber. His cows went in tow. And I was like, okay, I got to make sure, right? I got to make sure we didn't hit him. So we spent some time just looking for any little droplet of blood. We probably wasted 30, 35 minutes doing that. Well, I said, okay, well, we're going to just kind of do his loop. We did his loop and we saw them coming back through the other side of the timber. You could see the cow and uh, they wouldn't, it was like, they didn't care. You know, you could hear the cow with a real, you know how the flex, the, the flex mark call uh, right. when you barely blow on that, there goes another shameless plug, which, which that thing is freaking awesome. And we'll talk about those calls in a second. Um, so I would I would try and mimic them, but they just kept doing what they were doing. Heads were down. The bull didn't care. He's just kind of walking there, moving with him. They're feeding. Uh, right. And it was just they they gave a damn about anything <laughs> that I was doing, man. They just did not care. Did not care. Yeah. And see, that's that's. That's the deal, too, because, you know, you were directing your calling at them, right? You were directing your calling at them, trying to elicit a response from them. 
But again, think back to the Patreon page where I was talking about the breeding sequence. So with the breeding sequence, you're not necessarily calling at them or doing this. You're telling a story. You are acting like you are another group of elk out there in the woods doing your own thing. But as you start to build up that excitement in what you're doing, then all of a sudden that creates the excitement of all these other elk that are around you. And it's like, there's something going on over at the Johnson household that I, I, I really need to go over there and check out what's going on. So then, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, then once, once you have that bull's attention and now he's engaged with you, you know, you still tell your story until you hear certain things from him. Like we talk in the video until I hear these certain types of responses or they break this buffer zone. I'm going to continue to tell my story because again, this is, this is what elk do. I mean, they get in their little groups and they talk with the best way I can describe little elk herds is think back to high school with the clicks, the high school clicks that this click had their own members and they didn't really talk to any other click because they were in this click and they were all accepted with each other. And if another click walked by, yeah, you might kind of pick your eyes up and look at them and yeah, whatever. And then you go back doing your own thing. That's kind of how some of these elk herds are. They're in within their own tight little group that, yeah, they might say hi to an outsider, but they're going to keep doing what they're doing. So. So what I was going to say there, so, and I, so we're within, I'm going to say we're within 70 yards, right? They're on the other side of this little narrow piece of dark timber. And right. I'm like, you know, and it didn't, I guess it didn't dawn on me. I was trying to think, did I go through that? I think at that point I was like, well, let me mimic them. And then I, I, I want to say that I did a regathering mew, um, trying to see and it was like you know the bull he ooh, like i'm over here i have my and that's one is another hindsight thing i'm over here i have these cows you know this is right. where we're at come to us when right. you know when i'm when i'm mewing at them and it was weird the little chirps that we would hear from from the cows in that and i guess not uh -huh. knowing that language full on but being in that proximity should i have started that you know maybe that breeding sequence or something with that well, you, you could have, but the fact that you already kind of started, I would actually, you know, and I've done this before where I've kind of gone quiet, moved to a different position, and then all of a sudden I break out into a distressed or excited type mew. Um, kind of play on that, especially if you kick it up to a higher pitch and, and shorter and, and kind of portray it more as a distressed calf. Now you start playing on that maternal instinct, you know, of those cows. And I mean, really that's, that's the thing that, you know, you're trying to, you're trying to find that hot button with each elk, especially bull. You're trying to find that hot button of what he likes and what he's wanting to hear. And then that's what you want to get him. But unfortunately, sometimes you have to go through some few different things until you uncover what that hot button is. And that's where that whole patience. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you were targeting, you, you know, that bull, yeah, you could have repositioned and, 
or, or, you know, even broke into, cause you were already doing some, some muse, you could have broke into that breeding sequence, um, you know, that made it look like, Hey, the bull was kind of off doing his own thing or this or that. And now all of a sudden he joined back, you know, in her and he sent checked and, Oh, there's, there's a little excitement and there's a little something going on here. And that, that's hard. I'm not going to even bullshit. <laughs> that's hard, right? When, when six, hard. seven days goes, and this is the first time you've seen, you know, you've seen in it a full, you know, I got a body, not just, you know, antlers raking through a small Aspen to leave that spot to reposition even 60, 70 yards away. Right. That's hard, man. That's a hell of a decision to make. <laughs> it, it is, it is, but you know, another hard part too is, is, you know, when you're really showing patience and you're showing basically this rhythm to your calling, you know, you're really slow playing or uh, being really casual. But then all of a sudden you have this bull that is really, really locked into what you're doing. And sometimes it's really hard to stay within that cadence that you've already established. You know, he's liking what you're doing, but he's getting excited and, and yeah, you can ramp up, you know, your, the excitement on your bugles, but still keeping that going sometimes. And I think that's where sometimes people again, make the mistake because all of a sudden they're in their mind of, Hey, if I'm at, if I increase the excitement or I increase, you know, my, my cow sounds where, you know, before they were, yeah, yeah, yeah. And now all of a sudden they're me, 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 it's, it's really, really hard to stay within that nice, relaxed Calling, so especially because you know you have emotions, you have adrenaline. Especially if you laid eyes on him and he's a good bull, then you had desperation. <laughs> oh, yeah, and so you know you sit there and think, okay, well if I if I speed this up, it's going to make him come in faster. No, it's not. Nothing is going to make him come in faster. He's not going to come in until he makes a decision. You know what? I'm I'm going to go in there. I'm going to commit. I'm going to go. Yeah. I'm, uh, my hindsight is growing now. Hindsight. <laughs> I, I, and this is, this is one of the great things. I mean, and again, blessed with the guys that I hunt with because oh, there's six of us in camp. Okay. And, and people ask me all the time. They're like, that's a big camp. Yeah. But we're not a group of six. We're, we're not a little kid's soccer game where all six of us are chasing the ball around the mountain. You know, we split into groups of three and we hunt different areas. But the cool thing is, is when we meet back at camp that night, we all sit down. How did your hunt go? What did you see? What did you hear? What did you experience? What happened? And we're constantly, as we're sitting there at night eating dinner, we're sharing all this information with each other. And, and it's like, oh man, okay, well, you know, you, you kind of got into this scenario and this bull did this. Well, well, what did you do? Oh, well, I did this. Oh, well, that's cool. How did he respond to that? And so it's that constant sharing of knowledge. 
And you can kind of, uh, again, because you're, because you're sitting right there sharing that knowledge, now all of a sudden that hindsight and a lot of times when you're sitting there talking about it and it's like, God, you know what I should have done? I should have done this and that. If I had done this or that, there's a good chance he would have done this. And so, yeah, hindsight is... is A son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, but it can also be bad because let's say you made a decision, you called a bull in to 40 yards or less, which is a, a successful hunt, but you didn't get a shot opportunity. Now we are our harshest critic because now you're going to sit there on that to- hindsight and you're going to start picking apart and nitpicking what you did. And it's like, God, I should have done this. Or, you know, that reed fluttered a little bit when I made this sound or, you know, my bugle wasn't crisp and perfect. Who gives a crap? You know what I bugled with majority of the time this year? That Power Bugle Pro Magnum. I did a majority of my bugling on that Power Bugle Pro Magnum instead of a diaphragm read. And I had a stinking ball. In fact, there was one day that all I used was the flex mark, the open read cow call from Carlton, and the um, Power Bugle Pro. I didn't even touch a diaphragm that day and had so much fun. Mm-hmm. That's me. That's one of I, we, we, we worry about this. Like you said earlier, there's perfect bugle or this perfect, you know, elk sound, but is there a perfect elk sound? But that no. is one of the most enjoyable aspects of elk hunting is is just to to vocalize with them to be able to talk to them even with the the i'm gonna call them bs bugles we were getting and those little muse it is just it's phenomenal man to to be able to sit there and listen to that and and you know try and mimic it and up your game okay do i how can i sound more like that elk okay man So let, 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 no, and I'm glad you brought this up. So let me ask you this. You, you, you brought up that so many people focus on the perfect bugle. Okay. So they practice all year on that perfect bugle, the nice, clean, perfect notes, the nice, smooth transitions, nice three notes, this and that. And that's the same bugle that they do over and over and over. <laughs> And over, you know, they're wor- they're working a bull, and meanwhile, this bull has done five different variations of the bugle, but they are just doing this one perfect bugle, and they're like, "Oh my God, I sound so like a, such a majestic elk right now because my note transitions are smooth." But in reality, they're missing out on really this elk and how they vary their tones and how it's not always just this picture perfect bugle that everybody tries to strive for. That there's variations in these sounds. And sometimes I've heard bugles where it's like, that dude sucks. <laughs> Sad part is, is it wasn't a dude. It's an elk. <laughs> it was an elk. Yeah. Absolutely. 
I yeah, I I don't know, man. I and that was one of the things that was one of the biggest takeaways for me with this. And, and I was the guy, right? I, I want this, you know, like you said, those perfect transitions. Um, you know, let me get that high and then roll into that guttural sound. But noticing, even with again the the low audible, minimal amount of bugles we heard, it was just like, oh man, that was. That was phenomenal. There was one bugling at us, and I'm like, this bull must be a foot and a half tall and have, you know, 20 inch antlers. I mean, just the smallest, <laughs> weakest bugle you've ever heard. But then, you know, when he finally decided he wasn't going to play with us, we we start going down his pet, his trail there. And I'm looking at, I kid you not, man, I'm looking at rubs about 11 foot up a tree. And I, I was... I about shit myself. <laughs> oh, okay. Here's here's a prime example of it. So, hold on. Okay. So, most people. You know, they're they're doing this perfect bugle, and then all of a sudden, you know, especially early in the year, they just get a bull. A little wine like this. How do you think they respond? With that big, perfect bugle. <laughs> then again, the bull. <laughs> and they respond with this three-note bugle. Nothing else in the forest is cracking this full-blown max volume three-note bugle, except for humans. None of the elk are doing it. Yeah, that and that's what that's what we were getting was uh-huh. just that two. I mean, I'm gonna say single note, two to three seconds, and right. just super low audible. Man, it was mind blowing. And, and how were and how were you responding? In kind until I got excited. <laughs> oh, he's coming in. <laughs> you know, it was like I did everything right until I got excited. <laughs> no, and, and that's that's where we were talking earlier. But that's that's where, you know, before the season where or maybe it was after the first weekend or something. I don't remember. But, you know, that's where I said, you know, are you are you piping off and calling like an elk or are you piping off and calling like a human? Mm-hmm. And that that really. That's one of those things that stuck in my head throughout that hunt was, mm-hmm. you know, elk or human, elk or human, elk or human. So I was really focused on on that, you know, but you get to that point where it's like, oh, oh my God, he's 100 yards closer than he was. You know, now he's 50 yards closer. So he's 150 in and, you know, went to shit after that. <laughs> well, and, and, that, and that's that's why that's why I said, you know, early, but, you know, early it was like I said, it was either before the season or right after the start. It's like, OK, are, are, are you moving around and calling like an elk or are you doing what humans do? And, you know, you're basically just marching through the forest bugling every 400 yards but here's the other deal too is if you watch how elk move through the forest versus how we move through the forest we as humans we have a destination in mind and we're going to get there and we're not going to stop until we get there well when elk move through the forest they have a destination also but they will move 10 15 20 yards and then stop and maybe nibble on a leaf or nibble on a you know grass And then they'll kind of walk another 15, 20, 30 yards, stop and nibble again. They're moving and stopping and moving and stopping. It's not just this continual beat feet until they get there. 
So we're the only ones that do that. And so that's one of the things that, you know, we do as a group that, you know, we'll move a little bit and then we'll stop and listen. We'll move a little bit, stop and listen. So because sometimes you can hear, you know, the antlers of a bull ticking off branches. And it's like, hey, there's a there's elk right there. Yeah, and that that was again one of the challenges that that we were kind of fighting the whole time was was the GD wind, man. Um and that and I believe I'm not making an excuse, but I believe that was a hindrance to that hunt because you couldn't a 15, 20 mile an hour wind. Um, I mean, you're listening to Aspen's, you know, shaking and rattling and rubbing together and leaves all day long. You're not hearing all that, that real fine stuff that usually would creep through the woods on a lower wind. Right. And that was a, that was a heck of a challenge. Oh, well, the wind is a challenge. Ugh. Absolutely. And you and I talked about that. That, uh, I mean, I can play the wind. You want to talk about, you know, scent control and all that. I, I, that's like what I consider my strong suit. But uh, right. when you're trying to listen to, you know, listen for bulls, it, it got to the point where it was like, was that, you know, the, the, again, the bugles were so low, you know, you get those right. aspens, one had, you know, deadfall rubbing and you hear that. And I'm like, oh, it's a bugle. Yep. <laughs> Every time yep. you turn, oh, it's a bugle, another bugle. Yeah. You know, and it's like, or, no, it was a tree. Or you start manufacturing bugles in the brain of some distance. I, I mean, you're straining so hard and it's like, you know, and that's when we all look at each other. Did you hear it? If two out of the three of us heard it, then it's legit. But if you're the only one that heard it, you're probably making it up in your mind. And <laughs> I did that. I think I did that more than anybody. My son looked at so, me and he said, tree dad, that was a tree. <laughs> or, or, or the thing that I love is when you're standing there right next to each other and you hear a bugle and you point in two different opposite directions of where you think the bugle came from. Yeah. That was, that would happen a couple of times too. Mm-hmm. And for me, I just discount everybody else. <laughs> nope, I'm right. See oh, you. Absolutely. Let's go. <laughs> absolutely. It's it's like <laughs> you're deaf. You don't know. You don't know what's going on. So you can't hear anything. Uh, oh, you're good. So, man, I want to touch on. Uh, so, so I did. Uh, well, you had did the uh, flex mark thing on on Wapiti Wednesday, and I had done a podcast with Mark. And uh, man, that little freaking flex mark call is totally is amazing, man. Uh, that thing is unfreaking. You know, you look. I have one right here, and you look at this thing when you first see it. You go, "What the hell is that supposed to do?" And then you look at how it's a it's something so simple. I mean, the simplicity it in it, and it is, in my opinion totally almost perfection it is unflipping real oh i agree and and to me the flex mark is probably the most realistic sounding elk call on the market um just the tonal qualities of it the nasaliness that it has um just everything about it to me in fact i think Last year, it was it was either last year or year before, uh, I did a video on the YouTube channel that said, you know, 
the most realistic elk call that you've never heard of, I think is the name of the video. And I, I was in my backyard and, and I was talking, you know, about that flex mark and, and showing it. And I had, uh, you know, people message and, and go, you know, no, that thing doesn't even sound close to an elk. And, and I'm like, have you actually sat there and listened to elk? But the thing I like about it is you have the ability that you can get really, really soft on it. And that's one thing I noticed. That's one thing I noticed about this year is how soft all the cows were this year. They were extremely soft with their vocalizations. Um, but then you can also get volume on it too, if you need be. I and mean, when you amp that thing up and the way it carries through the woods is it's crazy i mean the only thing that i can that i would say does better as far as carrying or getting amplitude would be uh freddie's game changer um but you you know you better have your diaphragm game down with that i mean but between those two it was it was unreal the ability that you have especially to sound more herd like um with that flex mark and then with with the gc yeah. And actually, um, that's one of the things that I did this year. And I don't know if you have tried this, but you take that flex mark and you take your fingers and kind of form a circle on the end of it with your, with your thumb and your pointer finger. And then you take your other three fingers to roll around the barrel barrel on the game changer. And so basically, yeah, you put it right up to that game changer. And you use those two together. And it it will, I swear it sounds like it carries four miles. I did the same oh, yeah. thing and it was just unreal, man. Unreal. So you got that, you get that amplitude and that, that distance or that carry with this tonal quality of the flex mark that is second to none. Well, uh, yeah, the tonal quality is the important thing. And in fact, I got a hold of Mark and, and actually I, uh, because the flex mark I had was from the original owner. And then, you know, I got a hold of, of Mark and, and had, you know, six new ones sent over. And I walked into camp and just handed everybody one. Here you go. Here you go. Here you go. Here you go. And the guys kind of looked at me crazy. Like, yeah, what are you, what are you doing? But I mean, had two guys in camp that aren't real strong at calling, you know, they're basically brand new. And so one of them, I handed him that flex mark and I told him to buy that power bugle pro. And within five minutes, he was ripping good bugles on the power bugle pro and doing really good cow sounds on the flex mark. And you could just see his eyes light up with confidence and, you know, this is the second year that he's hunted with us and, and he's two for two, not a bad way to start his elk hunting career. Um, but now he's kind of shifted. He's like, okay, I've got a branch antlered bull now. Now my next goal is to be able to get behind one of you guys and call in a bull for you. It's like, well, you have the tools right there in your hand that you can do it with. And then, and that flex mark, man, I mean, it, it takes, what Nothing. do you think? Five minutes of, of, you know, figuring out the bite pressure and the diaphragm pressure to learn how to use that thing and be able to go in the woods and call elk. 
Oh heck with Chris. I, I taught him three tries. He, he did it the first time. And I said, Nope, do this. He did it again. I said, you're closer now. Just make this adjustment. And then the third time just Boom. nailed it. Yeah. That call is, that call is amazing. Um, I gotta, yeah, I'm going to re up a bunch. And I think, what is he selling for? 11 bucks. Yeah, I think so. Something yeah. like that. I mean, those things are, yeah, I love that call. That was, uh, I think that was my favorite addition, man, to the, uh, to the wicked arsenal here with all the, well, and you know, that's, what's funny about this year, because, you know, I always hear from a lot of people when I'm at seminars or shows or even on Wapiti Wednesday and stuff. And they're like, well, well, yeah, of course you have success because you're really proficient on a diaphragm read. And I keep telling them, I'm like, you don't have to, you can go out with an open read cow call or something like the flex mark and, and an external read bugle and you can have success. And they were like, yeah, right. And so, you know, I, I told the guys this year, I said, okay, there's going to be a day or two that I don't even pack a diaphragm read. I'm just going to do this. And then gosh, dang it. If the night before opening morning, if I didn't take a bite of a broth that just came off the barbecue and burnt the roof of my mouth to where I couldn't put a diaphragm in my mouth, I said, well, I guess this is the day that I'm taking externals and just calling on those little sooner than really what I wanted to. And like I said, I, we had elk right there and, and, you know, Brandon killed his bull. And, and so no, you don't have to use a diaphragm read to be successful. That is, I mean, yeah, a diaphragm read is nice because your hands free and you can go from cow calling right to bugling. And, you know, you have that versatility, but honestly, if you set your bugle Right. And I'm going to do a, a, I I can't do the video yet because I field tested a pack this year that, oh my God, it's just, it's, it's, it's amazing. Um, but the way I had my tube set up, I can one hand operation and switch back and forth from that flex mark to bugling on this tube easily and quickly, just pretty much about as quickly as you could with a diaphragm read. Um, but I can't show any of that video right now. <laughs> <laughs> what are they? They're dropping that pack soon, huh? Uh, I think their plan was at the Western Hunt Expo. Oh, okay. Oh, so you got in Salt Lake. February. Yeah. So I think that was the plan because basically I field tested it and then gave my feedback on changes I would like to see. And in fact, they took back the prototype that they gave me and, and it's funny they, they were like hey can we you know get that bag from you and I said well well yeah so I met up and he's like well well when do you need this back and I said I'm I, I'm done for the year and they're like oh okay well then you're not going to get this prototype back you're going to get one of the first production versions of it with these changes that you've helped us make and I'm like sweet so I walk out in my garage right now and all the stuff I had in the pack is sitting on, on one of my shelves and I'm just looking at it going, it bugs me that it's not in the pack and, you know, hanging up nicely. It's <laughs> all over. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of how my, my area, my gear area is went from elk back here to deer and, you know, we're still in deer and bear. So right. <clears throat> mess everywhere. Um, oh yeah. What you said something there. Oh, talking about the calls, um, uh-huh. and the diaphragm calls and, and 
I don't know. I mean, maybe it's, you know, that popularity thing or it's what we see. And that's, you know, the big thing to do is is to blow on that bugle tube. But it, it goes back to, I mean, just the, the basic tenets of, you know, gear and stuff we use. Use what works for you, right? If, oh, if that diaphragm isn't working or, you know, this brand diaphragm doesn't work and that one doesn't, you know, use what works for you. Oh, but come on the the uh social media the hype clicks. engine <laughs> and, and the the brand boy favorites and and that's what cracked me up because you know two years ago was the first time i did the grunt tube challenge and and the grunt tube challenge because i i saw a lot of you know people asking questions online. Hey, what's, what's the best, what's the best bugle tube out there? And, and, you know, you have the brand boy favorites that are like, Oh, this brand's the best or that brand's the best. And that's what got me thinking about this. And so I did this bugle challenge where I grabbed six or seven of the more popular tubes on the market. And I got off camera. You can't see the tubes. You, you can only vote based on the sound that you're hearing. And so I did the video and I launched it and you'd see people in the comments go brand XYZ is the best. Well, great. What number is it? Is it one, two, three, four, five, six, or seven? That first year I had a ton of people voting. And then when I did the results video, I got messages from people going, um, the bugle tube that I said was the best was not the one that I actually chose. Really? surprising. Okay. So then last year I did round two of the grunt tube challenge. I had three times as many views on the video, but only a third of the votes. Nobody wanted to vote against what they Nobody wanted to vote because <laughs> they, because they knew that without seeing it, they could not pick their brand boy favorite brand. And what's funny is the tube that won last year is a tube that I've had in the house for a while and I've blown on it in the house, but I had never blown on it out in the woods until I did that video. In fact, when I was editing the video, I'm playing the video and then all of a sudden this bugle cracks off. I had to grab over, I had to reach over and grab the list to see what, oh my God, what tube is this? And then I was chuckling going, you're kidding me. So, but yeah, you're exactly right. Use what you're comfortable with and what, cause that, that comfort is going to give you confidence and that confidence is what's going to lead to success. And it's going to get you in the woods. You get people, oh, I'm Absolutely. not ready. I got to learn how to call better. Well, go grab an open read. Go grab that flex mark. Don't, Absolutely. you know, because you, you know, you're gagging every time you, you slide the diaphragm and get the, get, go get the flex mark. It, you know, yeah. it, it just, I don't, to me, it's crazy, man. It's crazy, but you know, but <sighs> you shout out to that flex mark for, you know, it took my boy and he can, he's a decent caller. Uh, he has a hard time with his consistency on his cow calling with a diaphragm yeah. so i threw him one of those flex marks and he was like oh you know here we go you know like you said a couple of minutes and he's and he's good to go on the thing so right so to wrap it man i guess my biggest dilemma at this point is deciphering all the information that i have at this point learning from right. this 
this season and where to start. <laughs> well, and, and that's where the hindsight's going to come in. Because, you know, you, you start dissecting each encounter and each thing that you did and each of these encounters, then you can really replay and go, okay, what, what tones was I really hearing? And, and based off this other knowledge that I've learned about vocalizations and behavior, what message was he portraying or was he conveying with the sound that he did? Okay, what sound did I do back? Were we on the same plane? Were we on the same level? Were we were we communicating? I mean, you know, human communication can get misinterpreted and this and that while talking. Man, do you not think that it can't happen with elk also? I I, I mean it's 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 almost it's almost like watching a conversation between somebody that is extremely laid back and chill. And it's like, Hey dude. Yeah. Okay. And they're talking to Jojo, the Indian circus boy that's jacked up on 52 pixie sticks that he slammed down in, in 10 seconds. So yeah, they may have a conversation, but the fact that they're at two completely different ends of this spectrum, how long do you think that conversation is really going to take place before one of them's like, you know, I'm done talking to you because you're not on the same level with me? Same thing, same thing when you're calling to elk. You know, you you project you project excitement or aggressive too soon when it's not in there and that bull is just going to walk away. He's just going to be like, yeah, I'm not really amped up at that level. And I'm a lover, not a fighter today. So I'm just going to kind of go back over here into my area and just let you move on. But then the funny thing is, is then you come back in that area the next day or two days later. And, and I mean, he's ready to lock horns with a freight train. <laughs> hindsight man it's going to be a lot of that this year and i what's funny is i've i've since i've been back right i've been kind of going through my journaling and, and trying to map everything out right and just kind of pick it apart hindsight it um and try to put it together and i thought at this point that i would be already working on my skills right working on that skill set and, and have a little more understanding and i find myself a little bit more lost as far as where to start that's uh that's been the hardest part of coming off a season thus far so uh, with any journey you always have to start at the beginning right but that's the hard part with this because i can hear what you're saying is you have all this information and all this knowledge and, and all these things that gained and okay, how did, where do I start to decipher all this and really start to put it into a pattern of learning? Right. Turning that knowledge right. to wisdom. <laughs> the best way is go back to day one of your hunt or, or go back a little further, go back to a scouting trip and start kind of putting all those pieces of the puzzle together. Don't just focus on 
the encounters. Cause I mean, you may in a, in a 14 day hunt, you may have only had four encounters that you heard, but what about everything else that happened in between those encounters? You know, what was the barometric pressure doing? What was the weather doing? What was the cloud cover doing? What was the hunting pressure? What was the temperature? You know, and, and so many people only want to focus on their encounters that they don't look at these other avenues and go, God, you know, I noticed on this day that the weather did this and man, there did, there wasn't any activity. We didn't see a single elk. We didn't see a single deer. We didn't see a, you know, a bear, nothing. The birds weren't really singing. The chipmunks weren't standing out on the branch, you know, limbs barking at us, just asking me to zip an arrow at them. I'll tell you what, if arrows and broadheads weren't so expensive, I'd probably fling a lot more at those stupid chipmunks up hey, on the branch. You and me both. <laughs> I mean, I, part of me just wants to go to Walmart and just get, you know, buy their clothes out. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's something else, man. That little sons of bitches, they get so loud and barking at you. And it's like, God dang it. And we thought about it yeah. a few times, man. You know, you'll be on a sit. And there was a few times where we just said, okay, we're just going to, we're going to sit here. We're just post up. You know, we got some kind of some uh, crossings and uh, you'd be there for an hour and a half, man. And you, this little son of a gun would come running in, you know, from 20, 30 yards away on a log and right. you so much as blink and he's standing over 10 feet away from you, just barking at you. Oh, barking and chattering. And, oh, yeah. man. Yeah. And, and then you get to the point where they start dropping pine cones. <laughs> yeah. That's when And then all of a sudden, you, you know, you're like, hey, I just heard a twig snap over there. <laughs> you're, you know, you're straining. And then all of a sudden you hear tink, 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 tink off the branch. And you're like, God dang it. <laughs> yeah. Or, or you, you, you get at a place to sit at the base of a tree to, to kind of take a break. And there's a squirrel at the top of the tree that you're sitting under and he starts launching pine cones from the top. And, you know, you're, you're looking for a foxhole to dive in because you think the mortar <laughs> routes are yep. on, the, on the Normandy there, you know? And so yeah, <laughs> nothing like it, man. It's funny that oh, we, no. that we notice all that, you know, it's just, uh, it's an amazing experience. I tell you that I wish I didn't wait so long to, to go in after this, but I'm sure glad I did. You know, and the one thing that I, I absolutely love each fall is from the first day of the hunt to the last day of the hunt throughout the month is I love watching the transition of colors. The aspens, the firebush, I, I just everything, just watching how the colors change. Because as those colors change, the smell and the feel of the mountainside changes too. Yeah, that's one and of the one of the things that unfortunately, you know, being an out-of-state elk hunter, especially in California, we don't have seasons like that. So it's definitely right. one of those things that, at least for me, I tend to latch on to more as those visuals like that. It's, it's just the yellows and reds and greens and orange and, oh, man, oh, man. Take me that's back. Why you've heard me, that's why you've heard me talk about the sights and the sounds and the smells so much. So, I, I, I mean... <laughs> Just taking that time to take a break, you know, slow down, enjoy it. 
it uh, it's funny, right? It, it almost seems cliche when you see, is it September yet, right? On some of like the social media post. But when you put it in that perspective, I think that's why we're saying that. Right, oh, yeah. it's not just about chasing that. I mean, it is about chasing elk, but it's those sights, those sm- those sounds, those colors. You know, take huh? eleven months is a long GD time to wait to get back to it, man. Oh, it is. <laughs> it absolutely is. Oh, I can't wait. But, but you know, if you took the time to slow down and experience those things, now the richness of your me- memories that, that you know you could almost sit there and you know, granted. Callie, you're not going to be sitting in the house looking out the window watching the snow fly like we do here in Idaho. And you're watching the snowfall, and all of a sudden, you just catch this, you, you know, your memory produces this smell from, from this past September. And, and it's almost like you were just, you're standing there again. Yep. Oh, man. You make me sick. I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight. <laughs> oh, I'm going to sleep. I'm going to sleep like a baby after last night. Three hours of sleep is uh, not enough for me. Uh huh. Well, on that note, man, um, let's wrap it. Why don't you? Uh, <laughs> we're making some changes here to ECA, and why don't you drop a little bit of that and and tell you know everybody where to go and if they want yeah, to keep absolutely. learning. And- so you know, I I know a lot of the listeners have you know tuned in to the Wapiti Wednesdays that have done for the past couple of years, and these Wapiti Wednesdays have been you know, live on our Facebook page and YouTube and and on Instagram. And because of some of the things that I've gone through recently in my personal life, it's, it's really caused me to step back and and kind of reevaluate everything and relook at everything. So we are still going to do Wapiti Wednesday. The only difference is, is the Wapiti Wednesday now is going to be over on the Patreon page, which, you know, people can go to elkcallingacademy.com and that will take them right to that Patreon page. It's $15 a month. Um, but we're going to do Wapiti Wednesdays live Q and A's there. And we're going to do it every other week. It's still going to be called Wapiti Wednesday, but you know, it might be on a Tuesday or on a Wednesday or on a Thursday. Um, Cause you know, sometimes my son has a parent teacher conference on a Wednesday or a school program. And, and I know other parents, out there, same thing. So, so what we'll do is, is the Monday of the week that we're going to do it, I'll make a post and say, okay, this week we're going to do it on Wednesday at seven thirty mountain time. Go ahead and put your questions in, but it's, it's, it's primarily going to be done there, but also on the Patreon page, not only do you have these live Q and A's, but you also have instructional and tutorial videos that start with selecting a diaphragm read and then go all the way through on read placement, tongue contact, making a sound, then go through all the cow sounds. We go through all the bull sounds. Uh, we go through calling scenarios. We go through setups. Basically, I kind of open up my playbook and say, this is exactly what I do. Um, you know, there's a video that I dropped in there this year that was a one-on-one video where it was basically me versus a bull and one of my hunting partners following me with a camera. So you get to see 
how I move on that bull and how I interact with him. And, and so it's almost like you're right there getting to see me do some of this stuff. So now the YouTube channel, I, I'm going to kind of turn that more into kind of a gear review or a head to head testing of gear. Um, I've done a few videos of those in the past with really good feedback for people. So it's going to, it's almost going to turn more into a buyer's guide review of new calls, review of new products. Um, you know, the Facebook page going to drop articles there. Instagram really not going to see a huge difference on the Instagram page from, you know, what's going on now. Um, biggest thing is, is those, those videos, which, Guy, I'm sorry. I know that kind of hits you with that feature Friday and, and not going to be able to, to share that feature Friday much anymore. That is what it is, man. Got to make uh, make changes for the better. Right. So, you know, it, it's uh, more of a hit to the folks that were driving and listening. Um, but I have some ideas that we'll talk about. Yeah, I you know I'm I'm sure we can we can figure some things out. We'll just have to sit down and put our heads together. And and yeah, I agree. There are some people that you know much prefer you know listening to the podcast audio version of it. And um, actually, I just I just had an idea. So yeah, I got a couple. So we'll have to sit down on that and yeah, powwow and figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. But but heck, man, I will uh, I'll let you get on. Um, get some rest, get trying to, well, I don't know if there's actually any getting caught up on sleep, but I appreciate the time as usual, man. And, uh, you know, best to you with, uh, the endeavor, the new endeavor with ECA and, uh, you know, making that change there and, you know, putting everything out there for us as usual, man. Appreciate it. Well, Hey, I, you know, once again, I'm honored to come back on as a guest. I always have a good time and it's amazing. You and I get together and two hours slip by so stinking fast. Yes. It's, it's quick, quick. I, I mean, talking elk, I don't know, man, <laughs> it's dangerous with me at this point. Yeah. Oh, trust me. I trust me. I know I've, I've had the bug for over 30 years so and it's it's still just as strong today as it was back then that's yeah, a crazy thing all right brother well again right, man, i appreciate, appreciate it me. we'll talk to you all right. have a good one bud. you too bye guys you can follow elk calling academy on instagram at elk calling academy and to prep for that 2020 season in the elk woods jump on elkcallingacademy.com thank you for listening Follow and tag us on Instagram at Western Contours. Jump on iTunes, Google Play, and Podbean. Subscribe, leave us a comment, and don't forget to hit that five-star rating. We appreciate the support, and until next time, lay them down. Hey, everyone. This is Andrew with Sasquatch Fuel. If you're heading into the backcountry this season and you need some meals that don't bog you down, check out sasquatchfuel.com. Our 100% compostable packaging was designed to combat litter in the backcountry. For more information on conservation in action, head to sasquatchfuel.com. Hey guys, enter code Western Contours at checkout and save a few bucks off your order.